Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 149. Assuming we have a basic grasp of numbering systems, that means our 150th episode is on the horizon. Our third anniversary episode will drop soon after that. We have amazing authors arranged for both, as well as plenty of great fantasy fiction for the months ahead in general, so stay close. But first, we'll submit this episode for your listening pleasure. We'll begin with The Temple of Thirteen Pleasures by Lawrence Raphael Brothers. Lawrence is a technologist with R&D experience at such firms as Bell Communications Research and Google. He has recently sold short fiction to The New Haven Review, to The Sockdologer, and to The Sci-Fi Futures City of the Future Anthology. It's read for us by Fran Karras. Fran is whatever she decides to be when she wakes up each morning. She's also been known to be a voice talent, performance artist and poet, and professional dabbler in other arts that express. Now, let's make a pilgrimage to the Temple of Thirteen Pleasures. I'm sorry to summon you like this, Countess, said Marcus apologetically. We were sitting together on a divan in his townhouse drawing-room. Lord Cyprian's heir was dressed in a deep crimson suit, so dark it was almost black, with a ruffled white cravat held in place with a ruby stick-pin. A black memorial armband for his late father was prominent on his sleeve. I was in my temple whites. "'Please,' I said, "'call me Harriet.' Anyway, I'm here in my capacity as a novice, and it's quite an honor to assist you in your right of investiture. I had to fight off a dozen other priestesses to get the job. What? Really? I had no idea. I supposed it would be rather a burden, being such an unusual obligation. My dear sir, I said, your ancestor's townhouse is practically legendary in our order. There are stories of the goddess herself gracing the celebrants with her presence in the final room. She doesn't deign to appear for most of our regular celebrations, 
but of course, even if I wasn't a novice of Astarte, I'd be happy to help. After all, you attended my debut last year. You remember me? Marcus, you were the Sinusure. We were all devastated when we discovered you'd left early. I had no idea, he said, coloring. I hardly dared even to pay my respects. You and your friends were all so elegant, and I felt so provincial, so callow, unworthy, you might say. Nothing could be further from the case. Well, he said, I'm very pleased you've come. I realize this is a rather irregular rite. Do you know how it came about? I shook my head. Something to do with the original creation of your title? No, he said. It was later than that. The fifth lord was a convert. He was a deus pater man originally, but at some point he saw the light and switched to the eastern faith. Good for him. I suppose he took to it well enough. Oh, yes, rather. I suppose you know the Astartean hymn, Build Her a Temple of Pleasure? Of course, I said. We sing it every Friday at the Wren Temple on Ludgate Hill. Terrific piece. Very inspiring. Of course it's a metaphor, he said, and blushed prettily again. But great-great-granddad took it as a commandment. He converted his townhouse into a shrine, built a room for each of his thirteen principal pleasures in life, hired magi to enchant them, and had them blessed by the high priestess, and then he convinced the Earl Marshal to incorporate his ceremony into the investiture rites for all future Lord Cyprian. It sounds a lovely form of devotion, I said. I suppose so, but the obligation is a bit... One has to go through all thirteen stages with a partner, you see, he trailed off. Hence my presence here today, I said brightly. Marcus looked down at his shoes. I realized he was nervous. I touched his hand. This isn't just a professional obligation, you know. If you'd just asked, I'd have been happy to spend time with you on my own account. Oh, he said. Really? Really, I said, and it occurred to me that making him blush was such fun it could become something of a hobby. Marcus and I entered the first room, a plain cell furnished with a stove, a toasting rack, and a bread box. Oh, those crumpets! Doughy perfection, crisp around the edges, hot and soft in the center, drowned in hot butter, spread with a most exquisite gooseberry jam, sweet and tart at once. We had two apiece but I swear I could have eaten them for ever and ever. From room to room we wandered, and from delight to delight. Some rooms transported us by magic or by grace to strange and fantastic places. Afterwards, I could never remember all thirteen rooms at once, but from time to time one would surface in memory, recalled by a touch, a taste, or a scent. These I remember now. A room like a stable stall, warmth, and the smell of horses all around. Marcus and I exchanged tingling back massages using a wonderfully soft grooming brush. 
I wondered how the fifth lord had come to prize this particular sensation. Had he ever been massaged by a groom? Marcus whinnied when I drew the brush down his shirtless back. So I fed him a carrot. A seeming bare room, but on entering we found ourselves on a blustery, cold London street, deserted except for a chestnut man and his cart. It was June in the outer world, but here it felt like November, the chill wind raising goosebumps on my exposed skin, the burning heat of the nut meats in my mouth, and the pleasure was worth the pain. A butterfly garden. Sunlit, warm, and lush as a greenhouse, with myriad colorful wings flitting silently about, landing occasionally on our shoulders, our hands, and our heads, and all around us the delirious scent of roses, and of wisteria, jasmine, gardenias, and many others all mingled together, but delicate withal, never cloying. And then we came to a boudoir. Twelfth it was, and unlike some of the other rooms, it has never passed out of my memory. The softness of silk sheets, aromas of sandalwood and musk, a moment's mutual hesitation, a kiss, and hours of gentle delight and fiery passion. Why have we never done this before? I asked at last. Marcus shook his head. I thought you were out of my reach, he said. Not so, I said, and showed him what I meant. At last we rose from bed, and hand in hand we approached the thirteenth and final door. Night in the Lebanon mountains, the Milky Way blazing overhead, and Venus shining bright on the horizon. So large I could see its crescent unaided. I wore my dove feather cloak and crown of stars. Marcus was kneeling before me, head bowed, naked and shivering in the cold mountain wind. I stepped forward and ran my fingers through his hair. Astarte, he whispered my name, pressed his cheek against my thigh in supplication. Rise, I said. Lord Cyprian, ninth of your line. We left the temple together and rode in a carriage to the Earl Marshal's office to get his seal affixed to the letter's patent. I am back to being Harriet, Lady Columba again. Lord Cyprian and I are good friends and lovers still, but once upon a time I was a goddess. <laughs> The Temple of Thirteen Pleasures is Lawrence's second story to be featured on the Triple F. His amusing flash fiction story, Enumerate, appeared way back in episode number 87. Give it a listen if you haven't already. Our feature story for this week is Dante's Unfinished Business by Alex Schwarzman, who has also appeared on Farfetched Fables on more than one occasion. Alex is a writer, translator, and game designer from Brooklyn, New York. More than 80 of his short stories have appeared in Nature, Galaxy's Edge, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, and many other magazines and anthologies. 
He won the 2014 WSFA Small Press Award for Short Fiction and was a finalist for the 2015 Canopus Award for Excellence in Interstellar Fiction. He is the editor of the Unidentified Funny Objects annual anthology series of humorous SF and F, and his collection Explaining Thulu to Grandma and Other Stories and his steampunk humor novella H.G. Wells' Secret Agent were both published in 2015. The story is read by Anthony Babington, a voice in the internet's head who looks almost but not quite exactly how you expect him to. Having escaped from the sinister forces of Texas, he has retreated to an ingeniously disguised bunker in a secure, undisclosed location in Burnsville, Minnesota. His life goal is to someday annoy Norm Sherman into letting him voice a part on Escape Pod, but until then, he'd be happy to voice a project for you. Yes, you in the checked shirt. And now, let's get down to Dante's Unfinished Business. <laughs> Dante Ferrero had three serious and immediate problems. First, he was fiending for a joint something awful. He hadn't been high for almost two days now, and the sensation of observing the world through sober eyes was entirely unpleasant. Second, the Bengals lost to the Steelers, which eliminated any chance they had at the playoffs, and also left Dante owing a considerable amount of money to Mitch, his bookie. Third, he was dead. The realization of this last fact dawned upon Dante gradually. Sort of like an epiphany, but adjusted for the mental processing speed of a dedicated stoner. He remembered walking into Mitch's office, not so much walking as getting dragged by Mitch's goons, and not so much an office as the dark alley behind the bar where Mitch conducted his business. He remembered Mitch being majorly displeased about the fact that Dante couldn't pay his gambling debt, and saying, Something about setting an example to his other customers. And then Mitch had pulled something metal and shiny from his waistband, and then... Bang! Whoa! said Dante as he floated ten feet above his corpse. Cops had cordoned off the back alley. I'm a ghost. Yeah, man. Be still and keep your head. It'd be not so bad, you know? Me to speak from experience, eh? Dante turned to find a semi-transparent form of a dark-skinned man with long braided hair smiling at him. Who are you, dude? And why do you talk like Jar Jar Binks? The other ghost frowned. That'd be Jamaican, man. He crossed his arms. <clears throat> I see you have no appreciation for such things, so I'll speak your way. True to his word, he said that with barely a hint of an accent. Name's Bob. Dante stared. Braids had said his name like it was supposed to mean something. What, were you expecting Virgil? said Bob. Virgil? You know, because your name's Dante. Dante stared some more. Never mind. I'm Bob Marley. Bob strummed a few chords on an air guitar. Dante did the slow epiphany thing again. I heard about you. You smoked a lot of weed, just like me. Bob's frown deepened. Yeah, I partook of the herb. But there's also the music, and... What are you doing here? Are you my guardian angel? 
Bob closed his eyes and muttered something under his breath. Dante could have sworn the other ghost was counting to ten. "'You're half right,' Bob said finally. "'Welcome to the afterlife. I'm here to show you the ropes. Think of me as a guide.' "'Far out,' said Dante. "'You gonna teach me how to be a ghost?' "'Not much to teach,' said Bob. "'Mostly, I'll help you figure out whatever made you manifest as a ghost in the first place, "'so you can move on to the next stage of your journey.' "'That's easy,' Dante pointed toward his body. "'Some guy was drawing a chalk outline around it. "'My diagnosis is one bullet to the brain. Instant ghost.' "'And speaking of that, what say you we go find Mitch and haunt the bejesus out of him?' "'Won't work,' said Bob. "'I tried haunting a mean-spirited critic once, and let me tell you, I tried my best. "'He never knew I was there.' Bob shook his head. "'Boltergeists are a myth, like unicorns or honest politicians.' Dante mulled it over. "'Sucks,' he said. But "'Then I was never much of a revenge guy.' Look, most people who die don't become ghosts, said Bob. It's an anomaly, and the powers that be don't like it. They want such cases resolved fast, and that usually means reuniting the newly departed with someone from their past. Someone who died before they did, and the relationship wasn't resolved. So tell me, Dante, who might that be in your case? Your parents, maybe? Dude... I'm 25. My parents live in Florida. Girlfriend or unrequited love? Never fell head over heels for anyone, to be honest. And the girls I've dated are either alive for sure, or we've lost touch and there's nothing unresolved between us. Who else could you have unfinished business with? Bob paced back and forth through the air. Think, man, think! Dante pondered his life. He realized there were no truly meaningful relationships in it. Nothing important left unresolved with those alive or dead. This was heavy stuff, and it was beginning to seriously bum him out, as if dying wasn't stressful enough already. Then he had it. Rusty! Rusty? Bob quit pacing in midair and looked at him with renewed hope. Rusty was my first dealer, man! He sold these dime bags of what he called his signature blend to the kids at my high school. Best stuff I ever had! Dante smiled, remembering the smell and smoke of Rusty's weed. I could never get the recipe out of him. The memory would have made him salivate if he still had glands. And then he died. Yeah, this must be it. Let's find Rusty. Bob's expression turned gloomy again. I've been doing this a long time, and there's no way... Your most important unresolved relationship is with your drug dealer. You keep brainstorming. If you want some herb blends, I can tell you about a few this rusty character never even dreamed of. Dante was not normally a confrontational guy, but being shot dead left him in a bit of a crabby mood. I'm guessing you aren't here out of the goodness of your heart, Marley. And I'm hoping you aren't here because you have some kind of ghost fetish. Your boss has sent you to do a job... And that job is to be my guide. So, you can do that job and take me to Rusty, or we can hang out and watch the live performance of CSI Dumpster down there. Which do you prefer? Bob looked like he swallowed a ghost lemon. 
He stared at Dante, and Dante stared back. Ghost had no need to blink, making any sort of staring contest as pointless as it was futile. Go to hell, said Bob. When you told me to go to hell, I thought you were being sore about me bossing you around like that, said Dante as the two ghosts flew over some sketchy-looking wilderness. Nah, man, said Bob. Where else do you expect to find a dead drug dealer? He pointed ahead. We're almost there. They approached what looked like a prison complex, with high walls and a large wooden gate. Is that really hell? It's a hell, said Bob. It's Rusty's hell. There's more than one hell? asked Dante. Your own personal hell is more than just an expression, Bob explained patiently. When a sinner dies, an appropriate hell is selected for them to ensure maximum dissatisfaction. Also, they have to keep building new ones to keep up with demand. There was writing inscribed in the wood of the gate. Dante vaguely recalled that it was supposed to talk about abandoning hope, or hoping with abandon, something like that. He took a closer look. The inscription read, Full Occupancy. Dante stopped. Wait, am I going to end up in hell when we're done here? A hell, a purgatory, maybe even a heaven, Bob shrugged. Way above my pay grade. Come on. Marley floated through the closed gate. Being a ghost meant never having to ring a doorbell. Dante pondered his future. Did he really want to get in there to resolve whatever it was Bob thought needed resolving and to move on? Was that better than being a ghost? He thought about leaving, but then what would he do? Float around as an observer, making no impact on the lives of others? That sounded like his old life, which he hadn't been all that fond of. Plus, he wasn't sure if ghosts could even get baked. Wait for me! Dante floated after Bob as fast as his non-corporeal legs would carry him. The inside of Rusty's hell looked like a cross between a prison and a shopping mall. The cavernous structure consisted of many subterranean levels. Stairs descended to the next floor, where Dante and Bob had to schlep all the way to the farthest corner to find the next staircase. "'Why don't we float right down through the floor like we did with the gate?' asked Dante. Bob snorted. You don't float through things indoors. That's disrespectful. Besides, the tour is part of your journey. Observe and become educated. And so, Dante and Bob followed the clearly marked path past various sinners being tortured in various ways. Dante imagined himself as Dorothy in a nightmarish version of The Wizard of Oz. The lyrics popped unbidden into his mind. We're off to see the dealer, the wonderful dealer of drugs. He shook his head and tried to focus on his surroundings. These people don't seem like hardened sinners, said Dante. So you know what a sinner looks like, do you? Bob retorted. Every hell has a theme. These souls took advantage of the innocent in various ways when they were alive. Dante winced. What, like child molesters? He looked around to see if he might spot anyone wearing a white collar. 
No, Dante. Molesters end up in maximum security hells. Bob slowed down and pointed at a group of dejected souls chained to computer desks, staring at flat-screen monitors. Dante felt a little annoyed that even in hell, everyone had better computers than his beaten-up laptop. They used to send out fake emails that masqueraded as alerts from the bank, then steal the accounts of people trusting enough to enter their passwords. The net value of Dante's bank account was less than that of his laptop, so he could only appreciate the heinousness of their sin intellectually, which was never his strongest quality. He shrugged. They're condemned to respond to those Nigerian prince scam emails and LinkedIn requests for all eternity, using AOL accounts on Windows 8 computers. Dante thought Bob was pretty computer savvy for a dead guy. That doesn't sound so terrible, he said. You don't realize how bad the Wi-Fi is in here, Bob said. Everyone's punishment is tailor-made. Imagine how you'd feel if you could never get stoned again. Dante shuddered. He also thought he detected a hint of sadness in Bob's voice, as though Marley's ghost was speaking from experience. Did that mean ghosts really couldn't get high? Dante tried to pick up the pace, but his guide seemed set on doing more guiding. Over there, Bob pointed at a bunch of people who looked like they were shooting a scene. Uh, directors, producers, and even actors who made it in Hollywood by screwing over their fellow man. Now they're forced to work on film adaptations of Twilight fanfiction in exchange for nothing but royalties. The actors were dressed in khakis and leather jackets and sprinkled with generous amounts of glitter. Dante squinted. Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie? I thought he's alive. Jackson turned and glared at him. Motherfucker, I'm in everything! They descended, level by level, past the thieves and the adulterers, the deadbeats and the lawyers. One of the levels was filled with rows of desks extending as far as the eye could see, Identical goateed men hunched over typewriters. What did they do? asked Dante. Technically, this isn't a part of hell. Just a lab that occupies a floor in the same building. Powers that be were amused by the idea that infinite monkeys, given enough time, might type out the complete works of William Shakespeare. These are the infinite monkeys they got? Dante might have failed high school biology but he was pretty sure he could tell a man from a primate. Better, said Bob. They cloned infinite Shakespeare's just to see what so many geniuses might come up with when they put their heads together. Oh, wow. Dante was impressed. Did they write a sequel to Romeo and Juliet? The first batch didn't come out. They mostly flung poo at each other. This is the second batch. It's an improvement, but it turns out Shakespeare's don't work well as a group. For now, they're writing new treatments for more Twilight scripts, because only groupthink can come up with something awful enough to meet our needs. By the time they descended to the ninth level, faces of all the damned started to blur together for Dante, and the amalgamation was looking suspiciously like a slack-jawed clone of William Shakespeare. Despite Marley's assurances to the contrary, he was beginning to think this journey was his personal hell, and they would never find his drug dealer. Then he saw Rusty, who sat alone on a stool by a kitchen counter, eating a sandwich. Rusty! Dante rushed forward. 
Rusty was a paunchy man in his thirties who wore jean shorts and a dirty nickelback t-shirt with cut-off sleeves. He looked just like he had the last time Dante saw him. It's me, Dante! Rusty stared as he took another bite of his sandwich. Who? he managed to say while he chewed. Dante felt hurt, but then realized that while Rusty looked exactly the same, he was now much older. Dante Ferrero! I used to buy dime bags from you ten years ago. We hung out! There was no spark of recognition in Rusty's eyes. He kept eating. The silence was getting awkward. How are you doing? Dante said lamely. How am I doing? Rusty waved the sandwich and sneered. Dried crumbs peeling from the corner of his mouth. I'm in hell, forced to eat bologna sandwiches till the end of time. There's nothing in the world I hate more than bologna. To each their own hell. Figures, muttered Dante. This was the guy he considered cool in high school? Dante looked to Bob for help, but Marley was hanging back, laboriously ignoring the reunion. You may not remember, but we were good buddies back in the day. I was wondering if you could do me a solid. Rusty took another bite, winced, and swallowed. What do you want? he asked. This was the moment of truth. The finale of Dante's quest. The answer to the question that bugged him for a decade. He blurted out, Can you tell me the recipe for your signature blend? Rusty stared at him for several seconds. And he started laughing. He coughed up bits of bologna as he laughed maniacally, tears welling in his eyes. Dante had no choice but to wait it out, wait until Rusty stopped. Then he asked, What's so funny? Special blend is what I sold to shitheads who didn't know any better, said Rusty. It was the cheapest weed I could find cut with oregano and orange peel, and lots of water to make it heavier. He chuckled again, but his mirth faded when he bit into the sandwich. But, but I remember it being so good. Dante experienced denial and anger in rapid succession and proceeded straight to bargaining. Are you absolutely sure? Sure, I'm sure, said Rusty. Kids who try pot for the first time don't know good stuff from garbage. Don't take it personal, it was just business. Crestfallen, Dante worked through this revelation. He wanted nothing more to do with this loser he once looked up to. He flipped Rusty the bird, turned around, and walked away. It seems I was right, and Rusty's blend was not the thing that's keeping you from moving on, said Bob. I'm sorry. Sorry. The ghost he'd only met that day had more compassion for him than Rusty. What do we do now? asked Dante. I don't know. Let's get out of here. You can hang around with me until you think of someone else you might have unfinished business with. And we try again. Dante hung his head. Okay. They started toward the staircase when he paused. Hang on. I've got to get some things off my chest. He turned around and March floated toward Rusty. You screwed up my life, he told Rusty. The dealer tried to respond, but Dante cut him off. I was doing fine before I met you. 
I was going to graduate, maybe go to college, maybe get a nice white-collar job at a bank somewhere. But no, I had to meet you. A loser who sold crap weed to school kids for a living. Dante was getting progressively louder while Rusty shrunk back on his stool. I thought you were my friend. I tried to be like you. Which was really my bad. But the thing is, you never cared about me. You didn't even remember my name. I was worth no more to you than the few bucks in my pocket. It may not matter, but I know you for what you are now. Dante put his ectoplasm arms on his ectoplasm hips. I'd tell you to go to hell, but... He nodded at their surroundings. Enjoy your baloney, asshole. Then he turned his back on Rusty. Bob clapped slowly. He stood next to a shimmering door that wasn't there before. This portal will take you to the next step of your journey, said Bob, grinning. It looks as though your unfinished business was with this unsavory character after all, even if it was never about the blend recipe. Before Dante could respond, Rusty spat out a mouthful of sandwich, jumped off his stool, and raced for the portal, leaving a trail of crumbs falling off his shorts and legs. Freedom! he shouted as he dove headfirst at the portal. Rusty's head bounced off the solid surface with a crunch, followed by a thud as he landed on the ground, like the coyote fooled yet again by the roadrunner. "'Go back to your meal, Rusty,' said Bob. He flashed a smile at Dante. "'Personal hells, personal portals. Powers that be create everything tailor-made.' Dante mouthed thanks to the ghost of Bob Marley, but he was already being drawn in by the portal. It felt right. Like the smell of freshly baked pot brownies, combined with the warmth of a sunny spring day— and the merriment of a Cheech and Chong routine. Dante entered the portal and floated toward the light. If you'd like to share your thoughts on these or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. And please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. Links to the personal websites for the authors and voice artists featured in this episode can be found in our show notes. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative 4.0 International License which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is to you. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be forced to use AOL and a dial-up connection for all of eternity. And let me tell you, the way my internet has been this week, you don't want to go there. I'm off to go and wrestle with the gods of connectivity. I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.